Our next read is a selection of verses from different Gospels, John, Luke and Matthew. But together they all tell the story of John the Baptist bearing witness to Jesus. John chapter 1 verse 15 says, John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. And from Luke chapter 3 we read, the people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all. I baptise you with water. But one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he'd done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. And in Matthew chapter 11 we read that when John heard in prison what Christ was doing, He sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who was to come? Or or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cured. The deaf Here, the dead are raised and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for somebody else? It's a surprising question coming from John the Baptist. The prophet who denounced the religious leaders, called them a brood of vipers, who took Colin Herod the Tetrarch, exposing his sexual immorality and confronting him about all the other sinful aspects of his behaviour. It was precisely because John had been such a firebrand preacher that Herod had had him arrested and locked him away. And now, out of the public gaze, Away from the crowds he had so boldly confronted, doubts were creeping into John's mind. He had been so confident, so sure of what he had to say, declaring God's message, calling people to turn back to God, warning them that someone coming after him was even more powerful than he was. I'm not good enough to untie his sandals, he said. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He will come in judgment to clear the threshing floor. He will gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So you need to decide, are you wheat or chaff? Are you turning back to God? 
are you facing the judgment? Where do you stand with God? And in response to his preaching, crowds came to be baptised for the forgiveness of their sins and get right with God. And when Jesus, among them, came to be baptised by John, the Gospels indicate that John knew that he was the one. He was the one he'd been talking about. He was the one he'd been sent to prepare the way for. Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what he said to his followers. But following his arrest, and after some time languishing in prison, John really wasn't quite so sure anymore. And unable to keep his fears to himself, he opens his heart to a couple of his followers, confesses his doubts. And said to them, go and ask Jesus, are you, are you really the one who is to come? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Did I get it wrong? Have I made a mistake? And Jesus, for his part, tells them to go back to John and, and tell, tell him what they see, what they hear. Blind people seeing again. Lame people walking. Lepers being cleansed. Deaf people hearing. The dead raised. The poor having good news preached to them. It's quite an impressive list of credentials, but you need to know your Old Testament to understand how Jesus' reply answers John's question. Because a lot of what Jesus reported back to John echoes a prophecy of Isaiah 35. <coughs> which talks of a time when the eyes of the blind will be opened. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. And the mute tongue will shout for joy. And Jesus, in sending that message back to John, says, those things that Isaiah predicted, and more besides, are happening right here, right now. And in Isaiah 35, those events are the sign that God is coming. God is coming with vengeance and divine retribution to save his people. And part of that prophecy from Isaiah is, Isaiah tells the people, so be strong. Don't be afraid. Strengthen the feeble hands and steady the knees that are knocking together. God is coming. And the message that Jesus sent back to John, because John would have known his Old Testament, he would have picked up the message. He would have read the signs, he would have understood what they meant. Jesus was doing the things that meant God had come to his people. And it was a call to John not to be afraid, but to be strong. In and through the ministry of Jesus, God was coming. In Jesus, God had come. So yes, John got it right. Jesus was the one. There was no mistake. 
There was no need to look for anyone else. Jesus was the one coming in the name of the Lord. And those who welcomed and accepted him, welcomed and accepted God. And that was a core truth. And if, if, we, can, if we can base our faith on that truth, that in Jesus God comes to us, and in welcoming him, we're welcomed by God. Then that's, that's the basis for everything else. And we might have doubts or questions about all sorts of other things. But the core truth is that in Jesus, God has come to us. And we put our trust in Jesus. We find God. Okay. But what about all the fire and brimstone? What about all that burning the chaff with unquenchable fire? What about purging the threshing floor? What about the baptism in the Spirit and in fire that John had said would be the hallmark of Jesus' ministry? Jesus was actually pretty gentle in many ways and quite accepting of the kind of sinful people that John might have expected to be swept away. Well, Isaiah again spoke about the Lord cleansing the bloodstains from Jerusalem with a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. You find that in Isaiah 4. And that quite possibly formed the basis for John's picture of a fiery spirit baptism. And it looks like John envisaged a scenario where the wicked would be destroyed and those who were righteous or those who'd received his baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be saved. But in Jesus' ministry, he didn't quite see that separation of the righteous from the wicked like a farmer separates the wheat from the chaff. He saw Jesus welcoming all kinds of people in grace with little sign of judgment. And John, languishing in prison, might have expected Jesus actually to, to sort the authorities out so that he could be set free, but it wasn't, it wasn't happening. So what happened to the distinction between the righteous and the wicked? Burning up the wicked and rescuing the righteous. What was going on? Well, the reality is that then as now, most of us are pretty mixed up people. And if you're going to draw a clear dividing line between the good and the wicked, then that line is going to go right through the centre of our lives. Right through the centre of our hearts. Because there are bits of good and bad in all of us, in various measures. And when we get baptised in water, it's a way of being open with God about the the rubbish bits in our lives, seeking his cleansing and his forgiveness for them. And when Jesus baptises us with his Holy Spirit, his aim is to burn up those grotty bits of our lives, to purify us and make us holy and to change the kind of people that we are on the inside. The baptism of spirit and fire is to destroy the wickedness and the evil and the sinfulness within each one of us to purify us and cleanse us and change us. The final judgment is still to come. And Jesus will come again to judge the world and to draw the final irrevocable distinction between those who are for God or those who are against him. Those who come into the light 
all those who hate the light and shun it because their deeds are evil. And John thought Jesus was coming to do that straight away. And it was perhaps because of that misconception of what Jesus was going to do then and there that caused John's crisis of faith in prison. He foresaw the coming judgment clearly enough. He didn't foresee the grace that would precede it. And for us, as we look forward, we have to reckon with the reality that one day we will face Jesus as our judge. And we will have to give to him an account of our lives. And we need to be ready and prepared for that. But when we look back, we can see that he has already come as our saviour and as our redeemer. And if we put our trust in him, we don't need to be afraid of the future judgment because he's the one who can sort our lives out, burn the dross out of our lives with his baptism of fire and spirit. So we trust him as our saviour. And we know that we do not need to be afraid of meeting him as our judge. So we can look back to the coming of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem and worship him as our saviour. And we can look forward to Jesus coming again on the clouds of heaven. But as we think about Jesus as, as the one who comes to us, the coming one, is there any sense in which Jesus comes to us here and now? And if so, what, what does that mean for us? On the night before he died, we read in John's Gospel that Jesus spent quite some time talking with the disciples and trying to prepare them for what was to come, to help them get their heads around it. He spoke about returning to the Father. Talked in terms of getting a place ready for us in his Father's house. And he promised that if he did that, he would come back and take us to be with him. That's one of the ways in which Jesus comes to us in our present experience. And in saying those words, Jesus is, I think, yeah, in one sense he's talking about his return at the end of time to redeem his people and take them to glory. But also, he invites us to think of the moment when we die as the moment in time when he comes to us to take us home, to join him in his father's house. But where he is, we might be as well. It's a very reassuring image, I think, of what it might be like to die, meeting Jesus. <coughs> On the back of it, I sometimes reassure people that they don't need to be afraid when they're dying, because Jesus is waiting to welcome them. They will see him. <coughs> And I think that's a legitimate interpretation of this picture that he's given to us. And it's a picture of what it means for him to be our saviour. Because it is precisely at that point when our own strength gives out. And we relinquish our hold on this life. That he comes to rescue us. And take us into the life to come. Into the room he's prepared for us in his father's house. 
to us at that point of death when nobody else can go with us, that Jesus is there for us and with us because he comes to us at that point in time as our saviour to take us to be with him. That's our confidence. That's our hope. That's our faith. But he doesn't just come at the moment of our death. He comes to us here and now. Speaking to his disciples who were filled with grief at the prospect of losing him, Jesus reassured them, saying, I I won't leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. What did he mean when he said that? At one level, it was a promise that he would come to them after his resurrection, as indeed he did. My death is not the end. I'm going to come back. You will see me again. But it's also a promise that he would come to us through the Holy Spirit, whom he identifies as a comforter, a counsellor, someone just like him who comes alongside to support One who would be with us as Jesus had been with his disciples. And Jesus says, this is the spirit of truth, whom the world does not recognise, whom the world cannot receive, but you, you will know him, Jesus says, because he lives with you and he will be in you. And it's right there in that context that he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And the promise is clear. When Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, he comes in the person of his Holy Spirit to be with us at all times. So right here, right now, Jesus comes by the Spirit of God to be with us, to live in us. And it's by the Spirit that he really is Emmanuel. God with you in any and every situation. And then I found myself pondering, if Jesus is with us by the Holy Spirit every single day until the end of the age, as he promised, is it it right to think about him coming to us? And I was pondering this when I looked up the dictionary definition of the the verb to come, and, and one definition was to to move or travel towards or into a place thought of as near or familiar to the speaker. And I found that helpful because to me it evoked the idea that Jesus comes to us wherever we are. And there are times when we feel a long way away. There are times when we feel remote and cut off and a bit lost. And we've lost sight of the presence of God with us. But Jesus comes to us there. I kind of had this picture of someone who's trapped. And you know, the rescue party calling out saying, don't move. We're coming to get you. And of course the person who's trapped is quite unable to make their own way to safety. They need someone to come to them and rescue them. And that's precisely what Jesus does for us. Because he's our rescuer. Because he's the one who saves us. When we are trapped 
or helpless or lost. He calls us by name and says, don't be afraid. I'm coming to get you. I'm coming to rescue you. I'll get you out of there and lead you to safety. And Jesus is our saviour because he comes to rescue us. He knows where we are. He knows what we need. At times when we can feel a bit like John the Baptist in prison, empty of faith and full of doubt and fear, but Jesus is the one He's the one who comes. He comes as your saviour. He comes as your Lord. He comes as your God. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. Trust him. He's not going to abandon you or forsake you or leave you. In Jesus, God comes. Let's pray. Lord our God, you came from the highest heaven to the lowest place on earth because you loved us. It was not too far for you to come. And wherever we find ourselves tonight, you know exactly where we are and it's not too far for you to come. And for those of us who feel trapped or lost or helpless, whisper in our hearts that you are coming for us. And we don't need to be afraid. So give us strength when we lack it. Hold on to us when we feel our our own faith is failing. Where our confidence has been replaced by doubt. Hold on to us. And help us to look forward to your coming. Not to turn back, not to turn away. But to wait. Come, Lord, and save us. And thank you that you will, because you love us. You gave your son for us. We belong to you. And you promised never to let us go. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for coming in Jesus to be the saviour of the world, to be our saviour.